Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome back to Heard Tell, I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us. The most precious thing you have, your time, as we see out the waning days of 2022 here, as the new year is rapidly approaching. Hope you and yours are well wherever you are. Appreciate your times. We try to turn down the noise of the news cycle, get the things that matter, discern the times we live in. And that's right where I want to start today talking about the times we live in. There's something going on. I got a couple different stories here that seem like they're different things, and they're in four different parts of the country. We're going to tie them all together with a very important thing, though. Let's start up in New York City, the George Santos story, uh, the congressman-elect who is in all kinds of trouble for lying about just about everything. We are sh- pretty sure his name is George Santos, but we're not even really sure about that now. He's lied about everything. You can go read it. We'll link to some of the pieces. A lot about his education, a lot about his family's uh, heritage and religion. He's lied about his business dealings. Uh, more importantly, though, he's apparently lied on his financial disclosure forms. That's a no-no. And there's a lot of questions about just where all that money might have actually came from. I've got a hint for you. When you look at his financial disclosures and they all say $199.99 over and over again, that's not an accident. That's on purpose. Uh, dig into these sorts of things. That story will develop. I was doing some radio hits on it and people over and over again. It was really interesting watching how people ask that question. Was it the lying they were upset about or was it that you were covering a Republican politician that was caught lying and we need that vote? Got some of that pushback. Hold that story for a second. West Virginia, uh, a West Virginia public radio uh, personality and reporter has been fired and there's good evidence now that that order came from the governor's office, the the ongoing disaster that is the DHHR scandal in West Virginia. We've talked about it before. I've been noticing this for a long time. I've had dealings with them going back over 20 years now. It's been corrupt for decades. It's been a disaster for decades. It's getting people killed. It's hurting the children, literally, because CPS falls under DHHR in the West Virginia system. It's a abhorrent scandal. And one of the reporters actually digging into it, it looks like all evidence is out there now that she got fired and put off reporting on DHHR at the request of some allies of the governor. Hold that thought for a second. Let's go out to Kansas. Reading from the KansasReflector.com. This is from a week or so ago. Former Republican member of the Kansas House deepened his legacy of corruption when a U.S. District Court jury returned guilty verdicts on a dozen felony counts of defrauding federal and state agencies of over $355,000 in COVID-19 business recovery funds. Quick pause here. We have hundreds of billions of dollars of this money that is still unaccounted for. The fraud and abuse of this was terrible. It was nationwide. 
and it was all very predictable. This is just one example of it. Back to the piece at Kansas Reflector. Michael Capps, who was at the center of a Wichita mayoral campaign scandal, will be sentenced for submitting fraudulent documentation on behalf of his companies to Emprise Bank for a Paycheck Protection Program loan to the U.S. Small Business Administration for Economic Injury Disaster Loans and to the Kansas Department of Commerce for Small Business and Capital Working Grants. Wichita Eagle first reported in 2020 an analysis of the public records that they weren't entitled to receive, and the investigation went on from there. Hold that thought. Let's go out to California real quick. Los Angeles Times had a series of investigative reports on the legalization of marijuana in California. This particular headline I'm pulling out from that series, you can go read it. In fact, we're going to link to the piece. They did an end-of-year retrospective on their investigative journalism. This was one of them. Headline, $250,000 cash in a brown paper bag. That's a quote. How Legal Weed Unleashed Corruption in California. Quoting from the piece, California's decision to legalize recreational cannabis in 2016 ushered in a multi-billion dollar commercial pot market that officials in many small struggling communities hoped would bring new jobs and infusion of tax revenues to spend on police, parks, and roads. But for some cities, the riches never materialized. Instead, the advent of commercial cannabis unleashed a wave of corruption. Prosecutions and accusations that have rocked local governments across the states and left them with few effective tools to combat the problems from the rugged mountains near Oregon to the deserts along the Mexico border, a Times investigation found corruption and other questionable conduct covering a vast area of activities. Public officials demanding cash for cannabis owners to get approved licenses. Government officials threatened with physical violence over pot regulations and elected officials accepting money from cannabis businesses even as they regulated them. In addition, the industry has donated a torrent of campaign cash to local government officials as cannabis becomes a new and powerful special interest. That's in California. We talked about Kansas. We talked about West Virginia. talked about New York. We talked about both political parties here. talked about a lot of things here. What we're talking about is corruption. You can argue partisanship. You can argue the politics of the day. We can argue ideologies and policies and the way things ought to be. Those are all important debates to have. We've got a bigger problem in our country, and it's a bipartisan problem because it's not really necessarily a political problem. It's a human nature problem, and it's the corruption. Corruption will destroy our country much faster than a bad policy or a bad political leader or a bad ideology will because it destroys people's faith in the system. It keeps good people out of the system, and it sets up an ecosystem where increasingly bad folks will be field emboldened to go forth and do even more wicked things, more bold things, more damage to the country and the people that's in it. Corruption is not a partisan thing. And if you start trying to fight corruption based only on when the other guy does it and excusing it when your team does it, you've got a problem and you are hindering the growth of our nation and you're damaging the entire fabric of us. A lot of people throw around things like democracy is in danger. It's always been in danger. It's been in danger from the beginning of our country, but it's never in more danger than when we tolerate corruption, when we tolerate lies, when we tolerate stealing and thieving and fraud. I know we've all gotten cynical. I am too. One of the things I fight the most about doing this show and in my writing is not to be too cynical, purposely trying to find the good. That's why we end on good notes a lot of times on this show, because we've got to cover some heavy topics. The corruption is not a partisan problem. It is an America problem. Is a human nature problem. Worldwide, 
It's in a lot of other countries as well, but let's just stick to cleaning our own house here first. Yes, we need to set aside a couple things when it comes to corruptions. I don't care what party you're from. If you're lying, stealing, and hurting people, you don't belong in political office and you need to be investigated. If you broke laws, you need to go to jail for it. You need to be ran out of polite society until you repent and show you've changed your ways. That's pretty simple, right? But all of a sudden, when something happens, everybody wants to start carrying water like a sherp up the mountain for their team or their candidate or whoever it is that they like because the other person is so terribly bad. No, you're not winning anything. No, our country will survive just fine without that corrupt person. In fact, you're not going to do anything good with that corrupt person in power. I've heard this argument long enough in my life. I've been around a little bit. I'm not all that old, but I've been through a couple different presidencies here. Some good, some bad, some indifferent and some outright corrupt. Corruption will destroy us faster than anything the other team does against your team. Put aside the partisanship when it comes to corruption and lying and fraud and out-and-out abuse of power because those things are things you cannot control. You will not weld those as weapons to your own ends. They're going to eat you alive, and they're going to eat your children alive, and they're going to eat future generations alive, and it's going to destroy our country faster than any policy politic or ideology or bad leader ever could. This is one of those things we really need to come together on. If somebody's a lying, cheating fool, get them out of there. It shouldn't matter what party they're attached to. Because no, you can't do the right thing the wrong way. You're not going to make our country great by tolerating that kind of mess. This one thing we must all agree on, put it into practice, or there really isn't going to be a whole lot of hope for the future. More Hurtel right after this. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals24. That's Chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, when we talk films, this is who we go to. Certified film critic. Thank you very much. Luis Mendez, Mendez Movie Report. You see him here frequently. Y'all love him because I've seen the feedback. How you doing, my friend? How's it in sunny, warm South Florida? Well, it's not so uh, sunny and warm these days. <laughs> Got it. Dealing with cold to the point that literally my parents, uh, just a few miles north of me, had their bound and freeze stiff solid uh it's not feeling like florida these days (laughs) well at least the buccaneers are playing well anyway um that's a little jab i'm sorry you have your 25 list of your favorite movies for the year up at ordinary-times.com you always do great work i want to ask you a couple big picture questions we'll get to the i want i want to save the top two for the end because i think it's a really interesting juxtaposition the two that you put top two here There was two things on your list that really struck out to me. The first one is 
you got a lot of animation on this one, especially if we consider Del Toro animation, which it was. You got a lot of animation on your list this year, my friend. Yeah, and, and the thing this is that with the exception of one, which is honestly kind of unconventional for this company, Disney didn't really show up all that much. Um, Lightyear is a movie that I like, but the more time passes, I've been... It hasn't been aging as well with me. Uh, Turning Red, I really liked, but I didn't. I didn't think it was like special either. I, I thought it was a pretty off year for Pixar in general. Uh, but yeah, I, I've got uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is honestly probably the first ever Pinocchio adaptation that I would say goes toe to toe with uh, the 1940 classic. I've got Marcel the Shell with shoes on, which is. Uh, the kind of movie that a lot of people have been discovering and uh, kind of getting teary-eyed of over. Some people have compared it to almost like Paddington in the way that it plays. And then you have um, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which was really part of what has been a, one of the biggest stories of this year. And that's sequels that have found a way to surpass their originals. And, and, this is a uh, animated movie that shocked me how good it was. I've actually seen the movie three times now. Um, I, you know, I'm not personally the biggest Shrek movie fan, uh, and I thought that the, watching the first Puss in Boots, I thought that was just decent at best. But this this really has incredible animation, interesting themes about confronting death. Uh, that I thought were uh, made for a really all-around great movie for everybody. And there was uh, the Disney Plus film, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which is a movie that if you watch it, you will be surprised that Disney actually greenlit some of the jokes that they have. And now I mentioned some of the cameos from various uh, characters from the world of animation. But yeah, I mean, even though it wasn't the greatest year for Disney animation and Pixar in general, there were still a lot of great original animated films to check out. Yeah, movie critic Louis Mendez joining us. The other thing that really struck me on your list is there's a lot of overseas films on this list, um, especially if we're going to count the English stuff as overseas, which I think we should. A lot of foreign films on here, even though a lot of them are English language, a lot of overseas films in this list this year. Yeah, um, so... I thought it was a great year in terms of some British films that we got. Uh, Downton Abbey, New Era, obviously, that was going to make the list uh, because of how much I love that, uh, I guess, TV series, franchise, whatever you want to call it now. Um, the Miss Harris Goes to Paris, which was an incredibly well-made movie of a book that has been adapted like a million times on TV and film. And... Uh, Leslie Manville with a performance that we do not typically see from her. And she knocked it out of the park. Beautiful cinematography, incredible costume design on that movie. Living, which is a remake of 1952's Ikaru uh, with Bill Nye having what could end up being an Oscar-nominated performance. The Outfit, a very Hitchcock type of movie from a screenplay writer Graham Moore, his directorial debut. The Northman from Robert Eggers. Um, he was uh, he is a director that I've always liked his atmospheric uh, uh, feel, uh, the the way that he directs things. But I've never really loved the film of his. This is his most accessible movie. It's almost like Hamlet being played out in the Viking world. Uh, and then of course we got non English stuff like Bardo. 
which I think it, it really was received well by a lot of the Hispanic critics because there's a lot there to identify with. It is a long movie. It does have, it's not for everybody. And it's a movie that I, by critics screening, we actually had walkouts on. Um, and then we, and then there's RRR, which has become the big worldwide sensation out of India. It may have a real shot to actually get nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it is a bombastic uh, film with incredible action scenes, amazing dance sequences. It's, it's the kind of movie that's really uh, opened the gates for people to check out Indian cinema more, which some would say it's about time considering that India has a very rich Hollywood uh, history of movies uh, that unfortunately they haven't, we they haven't gotten as much love out here in the West. Yeah. Uh, Arthur Mendez Jr. Listen, you need to talk to us about this RRR movie because we don't, you know, look America is especially the English speaking world. We get a little insular on things like this. This is a monster all-timer of a movie by any measure. This thing is breaking all kinds of records. It's currently like the third biggest Indian movie. They think eventually it may get that top spot over time. They've had to keep re-releasing it. That's how popular this thing is. Just talk about it for a minute. I know you called it bombastic. When you wrote the, your actual review about it, you just talked about how this is the most over-the-top action thing you've ever seen. This is the way it should be seen. Um, you would, I'm going to quote you here. You say, I defy Hollywood to come up with something as original and as in your face as this is talk to people about this movie because worldwide for India cinema, this is going to be one of their tentpole type movies, um, in their canon. That's how big this thing is. Yeah. And, and like I said, I couldn't believe watching people who had seen this movie, how interested they suddenly became in Indian cinema. I've seen Indian Films show up on my uh, among my letterbox mutuals like I've never seen before because of this movie. Uh, look, this movie literally—I feel like it has everything you can find in Indian cinema. I mean, it's got incredible action sequences, over the top. Like you said, the dance sequences are amazing. There's one uh, uh, song and dance sequence, Natu Natu, which actually just got shortlisted at the Oscars for best song. Uh, there is a full-blown Bollywood dance at the end of the movie. Uh, I mean, it's a three-hour epic. It does have it does have a proper intermission and everything, but it's a three-hour epic. But I don't. I think it's going to be kind of hard for some folks to feel the uh, the length with how hardcore this movie is, especially after about the first hour or so. Um, it, it just. I mean, the the we're talking about everything from. A guy jumping out of a truck with a bunch of animals uh, uh, side by side with him. We're talking about two dudes uh, rescuing a kid while there's fire around them in a lake. Uh, we're talking about uh, a, a an explosion, uh, and these two dudes are climbing up the building as it's exploding. I mean, it is delivers everything that you could want, whether you're an action fan. If you're just interested in uh, Indian cinema in general, it, I mean, the, it, the thing is, is that India controversially did not pick this as their international submission for the Oscar. And yet it's been sweeping the critic awards for uh, international feature and it's beating out incredibly respected movies like Decision to Leave or All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, it, it really has become a very word of mouth uh, grassroots campaign for the film.
Yeah, Luis Mendez joining us. Uh, one of our tropes that you and me talk about frequently, especially as we get into award season here first of the year, is Hollywood loves their movies about Hollywood, right? There's one on your list. You've got it all the way up at number four, but it's very divisive as far as the audience and the critics. Babylon. Um, now, it's got a lot of star power on it. Brad Pitt's in it. Margot Robbie's in it. It's visually, you can just tell by the trailer, this thing is hardcore. But you really loved it, but you also touched on it. This thing's kind of divisive. It's not a normal movie. It's not a normal Hollywood love letter to itself type of things. You described it this way in Ordinary-Times.com. You said it's like a marriage between Boogie Nights, Wolf of Wall Street, and Singing in the Rain. That's quite the three-way. Can you explain that a little better for us? Yeah, I mean, this movie is not, I mean, it's it's not so much a love letter to Hollywood. It's definitely a love letter to the idea of cinema and storytelling, but it is not a love letter to Hollywood. It, it does not cast Hollywood in the greatest light. It's very raw. Um, about the first 50, no, about first 10 minutes of the movie, there are certain bodily function uh, jokes that are in there that might be hard for some folks to get past. Uh it really goes all in on that 20s debauchery that everybody has read about. Uh, and then as the movie goes along and we see Hollywood transition from uh, sign into sound and things like the like the uh, the Hayes Code coming in and stuff like that, you really see how it affects our characters and how they've been having trouble transitioning. But it, it's a dark comedy. It, 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 it The jokes are at the expense of our characters. It is a three-hour movie. It is a lengthy one. And that's another big thing that we saw this year was a lot of very lengthy movies. Four three-hour films, which uh, four out of the five happen to be my top five. Um, it is a, it's the kind of movie that I, I even said it in my written review. I was so conflicted because on one hand, it is easily Damien Chazelle's sloppiest film because there are moments that i really think could have been cut down uh there are things that i think could have been refined uh with the screenplay and yet it's so high on my list because from a subjective standpoint it is such i mean for me it was such a fun ride uh i really loved uh the 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 score is incredible the the way that it kind of transports you back to that time and era is amazing uh, I think the ending, which is one of the most ballsy things I've ever seen a director do with a period piece, uh, I was all in on it. I was in for that ride. Uh, I've seen the movie four times now, and uh, I. But it is it, it is undoubtedly, it's <clears throat> if it gets into the best picture race at the Oscars, which for now I I do think it's going to get in there. It's going to be that one movie we get every year. Like a Don't Look Up, like a Vice, like a Bohemian Rhapsody, like a Wolf of Wall Street, where there's there's very divisive views on it, but the passion is there to get it into the race. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's again, it's not it, it's 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 not going to be for everybody. Uh, but for me, I was all in on the ride. I think it's a fun movie. Uh, it's funny. It's interesting. Uh, it's got moments that I had me on the edge of my seat. Uh, but I mean, it is a divisive movie. It is a movie that's uh, struggling at the box office. But unfortunately, that is a big uh, story that we've been seeing continuing with these uh, adult dramas. Yeah, Luis Mendez joining us. One of the narratives for the last year or two, and you and I have talked about this a lot when you're on the show. You've wrote about it quite a bit when you write at Ordinary Times and it's your own site. 
your Substack, uh, Mendez Movie Report, which everybody should go subscribe to. We'll make sure to link to it. Only you, you slid Thor Love and Thunder in at 20. Marvel's had a very uneven, whatever you want to call this current era, phase four, post in game, whatever you call it. Just objectively, it's been very uneven to be charitable. It's been a lot up and down. You went ahead and put Thor in here, but you even mentioned it on the piece. And I think it's something to talk about Marvel overarching is you you said it here. It's like, look, this is very much a comedic movie. Yes, there's the action. Yes, there's the sarcastic humor. All those Marvel things we think of. Christian Bale got a lot of praise for his performance as a villain here. But this is a, this is a comedic role now. The Thor movies are comedic. They're humor. That's a departure from how this Thor character started, and it's kind of a microcosm of what's going on with the Marvel as a whole of they they trying to reinvent it. They're trying to keep it fresh, but it's getting some hits and misses as they do that, isn't it? Yeah, and again, it's look, I'm I'm one of the bigger MCU defenders you'll find among critics, but there's no doubt about it. There's a formula, and some people the formula's starting to wane on some, it's starting to get just old for a lot of people out there uh i they won't admit it but i truly believe that they didn't have a plan after thanos now suppose i do think that they sort of have a plan now as we enter this new phase phase five but phase four was a mess in terms of planning out uh it was a very divisive phase you have movies that had i mean you had their first even though it's a movie i defend but you had the their first ever movie that went rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. You had a massive hit, like with No Way Home. Uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever has actually been a pretty decent awards player for them this year. It, it may end, lead to Angela Bassett getting a uh, uh, supporting actress nomination. Uh, but all in all, it really has been much more up and down uh, with the, these last two years with them. It, it's almost like they how to deal with a little bit of humble pie now they do still make a lot of money it's still marvel people still go and see them uh but even by marvel standards they haven't necessarily been as consistently having these one billion dollar hits like they used to so you know the movies are still making a lot of money but they're not making as much money as they used to and I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see how do they bounce back with this new phase now that supposedly they do have a plan going forward, uh, where, where apparently they're going to be calling this sort of the multiverse saga. Um, because they, I, I do think that if they're not careful, this could only get worse for them and it slip up. And, and look, I, yeah, I put uh, Love and Thunder in there, but I mean, I'll... I'm just—I'll be the first to admit that it is not a movie you're gonna see uh, really show up in a lot of these. Uh, I, I, mean, I'm, I might be the only critic who puts it in one of these, but uh, you know, it's—it doesn't also help that this was a big year for non-MCU blockbusters to the point that we're actually seeing what could end up being the most mainstream-friendly Oscar lineup that I have maybe ever seen since I started following the Oscars. Um, and I think it's because a lot of the industry really appreciates these movies not following the Marvel formula and then becoming these massive hits with at the box office. And that's something that the MCU is going to have to look out for, that now you're starting to see these non-MCU movies that are going to break the formula. They're going to challenge Marvel. And they may even end up getting into awards conversation. 
Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Herd Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. And we're going to talk more awards with you here in a couple of weeks as we really start getting into award season. Lewis Mendez, certified critic, double board certified critic, if you were a heart surgeon, they would say. Uh, Lewis Mendez, our good friend from the Mendez Movie Report. Okay, I'm going to combine two of the movies on your list on here, even though they're different. But business-wise, they're the two biggest movies of the year. Uh, and they're the two most talked about movies of the year in the American box office by far, and it's not really close. You have them combined, you know, one at five and one at six on your list, Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water. This is kind of the opposite of the like the Marvel formula. They are both sequels, but both of them, and I have not watched Avatar because I don't like Avatar. <laughs> I watched Top Gun uh, three times in the theaters, and everybody knows me in theaters. Theater is not my favorite place. I went to that movie three times in the theater. I saw I saw the first time in IMAX, and then I wanted to see it in a regular screen because IMAX you just don't you can't see everything. So then I watched it in my stadium seating theater that I normally go to. But that's how much I love that movie. Those two together, though, when you start looking at the money list for the box office, it's them, and then there's a bit of a drop before you start getting to everything else. Business wise, there's that theme again: sequels that improved at least on box office and critical reception on the original. Although Avatar is probably not going to make the money of the first one, which was the biggest in of all time for a period. Talk about those two movies and how they're being viewed. Well, I mean, I I think that they're probably the ones who are leading that. Like I was just talking about, where the industry is kind of looking for non MCU franchise blockbuster hits. And not only do I think these two movies are in the best picture race, I would even argue that they're in the top five on the overall ballot for the best picture race. I think there's a lot of appreciation and love for a big money-making franchise films that are not following the MCU formula. They're not superhero movies. And, um, I mean, Top Gun Maverick and and I would argue Avatar Way of Water. I think both of them are uh, better than the original films. Um, 
even though I am a Top Gun defender, I I I think that first film uh, gets a little bit too much flack. But careful, uh, careful now. I love that movie. We will <laughs> no, we no, will, no. I'm saying we will I'm have saying, no besmirching of the volleyball scene in Top Gun. Thank you very much. No, I'm saying the first. I, I think Maverick's a better movie, but I think Top Gun gets too much, too much uh, junk at it. I think the first Top Gun's solid, but the you know the, both of these movies have. Are monstrous hits, and it's like we're not used to seeing these kind of numbers from a non superhero movie these days. We've gotten so used to always being the superhero movies, the top bit film making a billion plus bucks. Avatar The Way of Water just goes to show that even though this hasn't become like this massive cultural footprint thing, you know, when you're making Endgame and Infinity War numbers consistently now with these two movies. There's no doubt that the interest is there. Um, and uh, though I do worry that now that supposedly these Avatar movies are going to be coming out about every other year, I do worry if maybe that makes them feel less special and we'll see the box office go down as they go, uh, as they arrive. And I think it could affect its consistent awards uh, recognition. But that aside, I think these two movies are just indicative of this big theme this year of non-superhero, non-MCU formula movies that strike a chord with the public. The people come back and watch them multiple times at the theater. And I think the industry is responding very well to these kind of movies because it shows them that they don't have to just rely on the superhero subgenre to make this kind of money. Yeah, Luis Mendez joining us. I want to ask you about that, though, because, look, sometimes the exceptions prove the rules. But we look at the exceptions because they stick out. Top Gun stuck out. But then when you start looking at the box office for this year, and Avatar's still only a couple weeks in, so they're not all the way up the list, but they're going to get there. They're currently at five. Look at the list for the 2022. Top Gun, number one, with a bullet by a wide margin. It's not close. Uh, worldwide and dom domestically it's even bigger a gap actually jurassic world the end of that franchise at least this generation of it then it's doctor strange that's a marvel movie that was somewhat derisive but performed really well minions that's a franchise avatar we already talked about black panther that's you know another marvel top gun though you only get to do that once you have yeah. to have a 30-year gap. You have to have an aging Tom Cruise. You have to have the nostalgia. You have to have the crowd like me who took their teenagers to see the movie that I saw when I was a kid and loved. That that stuff all combined for a perfect movie moment. And then everybody had to wait on it for two years. That's an important part of that. Avatar is the same thing. It's 13 years of a wait. And everybody, I think there was a lot of curiosity. It's like, okay, is this really going to be better? Is this really going to be better? And I think you have a point with, is it going to be a depreciating value? But in a way, the successes of those goes to what you're saying. They're the exceptions that prove the rules. Everything else on this list is some version of a sequel or a remake or a remix until you get down to 15 and get to Elvis. Yeah, and Elvis is kind of a known property because he's an iconic figure. Right, and we'll um, touch on Baz in a minute, but that's how far down you got to go before you get to either a video game franchise, a movie franchise, or sequels. Yeah, I mean, and it is still an issue where a lot of people kind of play it safe and go with the familiar stuff. Um, but the, the the thing is, is that I do wonder, because we've got these 
pretty big major known IPs that are going to have their own films this upcoming year. We've got movies like Barbie. We got movies. We we got a Wonka musical coming out, and I do wonder if with if if those known IPs can also do well at the box office, uh, even though they're technically in a way basically original ideas. We've never had a Barbie movie before. This Wonka uh, uh, musical is a brand new story. Uh, it is by the same folks behind the Paddington movies, so I uh, I'm interested to see how that will play out. Um, and we got we got a color purple uh, musical coming out next year. Um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see if those IPs, those very well known IPs, can perform just as good at the box office while still being original and not being sequels. But I do I do agree with you that I think a big part of Top Gun and Avatar's success is the fact that it, they are kind of these big event things where we haven't seen them in so long. Um, so I, I do think that there's a bit of a, a big advantage for them in that. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of I'm starting to get a lot of hope, and and, and maybe it's a I shouldn't be having the hope that I have, but I, I just ha I'm I'm getting some hope that maybe just maybe there is a way out of just look. I, I there's plenty of superhero movies. I love two superhero movies showed up in my top twenty five this year, but I would really like some uh big blockbuster movies that are not just superhero movies. So I, this does give me a lot of hope that we can that there is a path forward that uh have box office success for those kind of movies yeah lewis mendez joining us and that's going to go back to what you know what does what fits in the cinema and what fits in streaming now i think that's a big debate that we're all going to continue to have for quite some time and i think that's a piece of that as well Luis Mendez joining us. Let's get to your top two because they couldn't be any more different. I think one's going to really surprise people. Lots of people have the, the one you have, number one, probably top of their list. You've got the Batman at number two, obviously a sequel, more of a reboot, I would think, to call it than really a, a franchise yeah. thing. Yeah, it's a straight-up reboot. Um, number two for you. I don't even know where to start with Batman because I, I was happy to see this succeed because it was different. And I'm look, just cards on the table. I'm not a Snyder fan. I didn't like anything that guy did with anything. I just don't like the visual style. You know, my thing, I won't, I'll spare you my CGI rant for the 18th time. I, I'm um, right there with you. I'm, I, I appreciate that the guy has his own style, but I am not the biggest Snyder fan. Yeah. I don't, I didn't like any of the Snyder stuff. Um, I'm old enough to remember the original, the you know, the old Joel Schumacher's and um, Tim Burton Batman's, which I enjoyed greatly. I think they hold up well when you go back and watch them. Heck, I I liked Val Kilmer's Batman. I'll admit it. Batman and Robin was not good, but it was you know popcorn flick. It wasn't as bad as people make it out to be either. Agreed on all fronts. Uh, has I know this is blasphemy to a lot of people because of the immediacy of the moment has the Dark Knight era in the Nolan films aged well now that we've got this Batman and it's, it's succeeded with a different bit of vision. Can they coexist or is people going to have to pick one or the other here? 
No, I think they can coexist. I mean, if you look at the Nolan films as sort of their own trilogies, uh, I think it's one of the things that helps Batman. It's, it's sort of uh, my other all-time favorite fictional character, Godzilla, where you really can – they've done so many different things with the character. And, and I mean, we've seen everything from – Batman in uh, Japan during samurai times. We've seen Batman in London hunting down Jack the Ripper. There's been so many different things that have been done with the character. So I think if you look at it on a separate, separately like that, um, I think they can coexist. This is a full-blown reboot also. So uh, now I will say that a lot of people have argued that, well, this, it, it, this Batman always got to be dark now. I, I do think that there's a little bit of a push of, well, D DC can't be too lighthearted because that's Marvel. But I think what this movie does so well is that it really is at its heart a detective film. Uh, that's compared to where while it is dark and more grounded the way the nolan films were the nolan films were still big bombastic blockbuster films uh whereas this is more of a very more take your time slow burn detective thriller where we're we're following batman as he's trying to solve the case and it kind of get gets at what a lot of people uh I don't think I meant some people don't realize about Batman. He's technically not a superhero. He's maybe even not so much a vigilante in some ways as he is sort of his own private detective. And I think that's what this movie does well. But that's the thing with Batman. It's turned into a superhero movie because superhero movie formula. We just talked about the last 20 years. Super Batman was nor Batman yes. was never intended to be a superhero. He was a nor character. He was, you know, the shadow, that kind of a, a thing. It's warped and developed, and then it goes back to its roots, and then it goes back to being a superhero, and then it goes back to its root. It's a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating arc when you go back and look at the roots of Batman. Uh, back in the fifties, before the even the campy TV series, it was a it was a phenomenon on college campuses. We have writing in ordinary times about this. It was a phenomenon on college campuses, Batman, but it was a Nor character. So to see him develop this way, did this movie maybe balance the two of those as close as you could probably do for a modern audience of, yeah, it's a superhero, but let's leave a little bit of the Nor in there so it is different? Oh, I, I think so. Absolutely. Because I do think this is less of a superhero than Maeve filmed than, say, the Nolan trilogy. The Nolan trilogy is pretty grounded for Batman compared to some other iterations of the character but this like i said this really does feel like a nor film to some extent i mean you could make the movie give it that black and white uh feel and, and you would almost feel like you're watching a 1940s uh movie uh, of a detective hunting down the killer uh and i think that's what this movie does well but it still has those you know over the top characters in there we get the penguin we get Catwoman. Uh, we get Riddler. Uh, yeah, they're a little bit different. They're a little bit more grounded, but you st you still are going to get the things that you love about Batman. But it is done in a way where it really is a straight-up detective film. Um, and I think that's why it works so well. I mean, I've seen the movie. <laughs> I can't even count how many times. Now. I think like six or seven times now. It is a long movie. It's a three-hour movie. But... Uh, it's really become almost like a comfort film for me. And maybe it is because it is a kind of slow burn film. 
But it, it, as someone who just adores the character, I think this is the best Batman we have had, at least since Nolan, especially after having to deal with the Snyder stuff for so long. Uh, and it is a welcome to see him go back to those roots. And it, I think the movie is, um, I think if you're in, whatever you're into Batman for, whether you're into the superheroes, because there is action, there is uh, chase scenes. There's an incredible uh, scene here where he's chasing the penguin down in the Batmobile. Uh, but uh, it is at its heart a detective film. Yeah, Luis Mendez, film critic, joining us, our resident critic here on Herd Tell. All right, one of the themes of this list, and we've linked to it, ordinary-times.com, my top 25 films of 2022 uh, from Luis Mendez. He also has it at the Mendez Movie Report that you all need to go subscribe to. A lot of women lead movies this year. Lots of them. A lot of really power. You know, I don't envy anybody voting for best actress and best supporting actress. They're going to have their hands full this year. Your number one movie, inarguably, was carried by the women in the piece. It is such a creative movie. The first couple people, we, we have a couple different people that write for movies at Ordinary Dash Times, and y'all could not be different in personalities. And both of you just gushed over this thing. So I was like, okay, now we got to see what this thing is. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Obviously, a very strong female lead in the movie, but everything about this is... <laughs> how many streams does this movie cross to be successful? It's action. It's a little bit of Hong Kong action. It's got a lot of ribal humor in it. It's got a lot of effects in it, and it's got a lot of a really personal story that still hits you in the feels despite all the craziness. How do you pitch this movie to somebody who still hasn't seen it yet? Because... Everything, everywhere, all at once is kind of a descriptor of what this thing's like. Anything you want in a movie, you're going to find it in this movie, and you call it a modern masterpiece. Yeah, and I think it's a very a potentially very important movie that could be sort of – it could sure join the list of movies like King Kong, Jaws, The Matrix, films that tend to get uh, name-dropped as to what made movie makers want to make movies. And I think this has the potential to be one of those movies. Uh, this is the kind of movie that I think can really bridge the gap also between sort of like the, all these niche fandoms and, and type of movie fans that have come out of the modern era. It's like I, I said this in a written piece I did for it at Ordinary Times where I feel like if you get someone who thought No Way Home deserved the Best Picture nomination and then you get someone who thought that that's blasphemy to claim that, they were both more likely than not love this movie it, it it really is the kind of movie that can bridge that gap because in a way it's almost like a superhero movie at times you're dealing with with the multiverse uh the, the effects here there's a super villain and everything but it's also like a family drama that is disguised as a, like a, a quasi superhero movie it, it's got comedy it's got action it's absurd uh it's it's surreal uh it's got romance and the way that they do the romance is not like we usually are used to it's it's a very different type of romance that they do here um it's got incredible uh emotion at the end of the film uh it really is amazing that they pulled off what they did with this movie and that it has been as successful as, as it's been it's a small a24 independent movie that ended up picking up legs and made over a hundred million dollars. It's actually one of the higher performing awards films of the year. Um, it's gaining traction. A lot of casual friends that have 
gone and seen that come back to me with going reviews. They're constantly asking me about what our its Oscar prospects are. It's right now in the thick of it to potentially go all the way and win Best Picture, which is nuts to think about because you wouldn't think this is the kind of movie that wins Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, it's cleaning up with critics at the moment too, so we're we're really pushing the movie as much as we can. Uh, it it's just a movie that I think is for everybody, uh, and it it almost speaks to the time. Also, I think it also speaks to our time of the kind of movies everybody's watching. The way people are feeling a little bit nihilistic at the moment and cynical about things. It, it really tackles everything. Yep, Luis Mendez. That's his top twenty-five movies. The entire list is on ordinary-times.com. Also, Mendez Movie Report, where he has not only his list, he has most of these reviewed individually. If you go back through him, he always does great work. We're going to be talking to you a lot in the next couple of weeks as we get into the award season, my friend. You do great work. Let folks know where they can follow you, where they can keep up, where they can subscribe to the Substack, and how they can keep up with you until we get you back on Hertel here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So uh, you. Check me out on my Substack, MendesMovieReport.substack.com. It is 100% free. I'm not gonna. I don't charge anyone to read it. Uh, you can also find me on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or if you have a letterbox, if you have a Hive social, uh, Mendes Movie RPT. You can find me there. Uh, I do. I write up my reviews. I constantly project the Oscars. Uh, and I'm hoping to expand to do a little bit more other stuff uh, over on YouTube, which is finally, finally starting to come together behind the scenes. Uh, but yeah, uh, I I'm all about the movies. <laughs> That's what I would like to write about. Yep. And we'll be there for all of those things because we love your work, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Luis Mendez, Mendez Movie Report. Appreciate you, sir. You too. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Hertel. Let's end on a good note. Uh, everybody knows about the famous ball drop for New Year's Eve in Times Square in New York City. Special trip for some special folks. This comes from Fox News, the nonprofit organization Hope for the Warriors. We're sending a group of 40 veterans to the New York City New Year's Eve experience in Times Square. The trip is a tradition that began over a decade ago, said Robin Keeler, CEO and co-founder of Hope for the Warriors, during an appearance on Fox uh, the military families will be arriving in New York City in the coming days. They'll be treated to the New Year's experience like any other. They'll celebrate, eat dinner at one of the firehouses, and then be escorted out for the ball drop, she said on Fox. At Times Square, the group will be in a roped-in area that's very VIP and special for them. And that'll allow them to be close to the event's actions 
but without the risk of crowding, she explained. Going to New York City for New Year's Eve is a bucket list item for many people, said Keller. But it, quote, may have dropped to the bottom of that bucket list because they were afraid they weren't going to be able to do it, said the NYPD and FDNY officers who partner with Hope for the Warriors make the trip happen and coordinate the event. Our escorts make it possible for them to enjoy the evening without fear, without anxiety. They're able to bring a service animal guide dog if they need to, and we also have wheelchair seating when they need it. Uh, the FDNY and NYPD are constantly opening their hearts and their firehouses to our families, Gold Star families and others. Anything they ask, they're here to help. Uh, that's a cool story. Like it. We'll link to it. Uh, veterans getting to go up for the ball drop in New York City. They can have it. That's too big a crowd for me. And I will once again, hopefully, God willing, in the creek don't rise, observe my normal New Year's Eve tradition of trying to be in bed by no later than about 10 o'clock. Call me a party pooper, but 2023 is going to come here whether I see it in or not. That'll do it for Hertel. You got feedback on that or anything else we've done? Let's hear about it. Gmail.com, Hertel Show, or Hertel Show at the Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Also, social media for me and all our guests on the video portions, the lower third graphics, and we link to all the pieces we talk about it in the show notes on the show page. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out. We've done whole segments and whole shows just based on what you wanted to talk about. So let's hear it from you, whether it's in the waning days of 2022 or what is soon to be the year of our Lord, 2023, wherever you and yours are. We hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. And we'll talk to you again real soon for more Herd Tell. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin 
wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. <laughs>